Hey everyone. Welcome to MD Rounds. Where we round in medicine with an all-round perspective. We aim to be your audio pocket guide for clinical medicine, including cases, quizzes, and high-yield snippets. We further enhance clinical rounds acting as a bridge between clinical medicine and public health. Well, what are you waiting for? Let's dive in and round out with Dr. Chavi, Dr. Atif, and Dr. Vineet. Join us. It's time to round. Hey, everyone. Welcome to MD Rounds Podcast, where we talk about clinical medicine and public health. So, today, we will be starting off our new series of interviewing physicians. And for our very first series, we have Dr. Dalit Singh, who is a hematology oncology specialist who is practicing in Topeka, Kansas. He has received his medical training from India and his residency from the University of Misery at Kansas City and had been trained in hematology oncology at Loyola University, Chicago. So, welcome, Dr. Singh. Thank you for having me today. Thank you for being here. So, today, we decided to talk about cancer screenings. So, Dr. Singh, what is cancer? In a normal human body, you have uh, checks and balances on how much cellular growth happens in all the tissues of the body. Cancer is a derangement of that process. Cancer is uncontrolled growth and increase in the number of cells without any uh, checks and balances on them. This leads to development of masses in different tissues of the body, leading to organ compromise and development of various signs and symptoms that are commonly associated with cancer. Okay. Can you please describe the epidemiology of cancer? Specifically, what are the leading causes of cancer deaths in men versus women? In terms of incidence of cancers in males and females, I will talk about males first. The leading cause of cancer in males is prostate cancer, followed by lung cancer, followed by colorectal cancer. In females, the most common cancer detected is breast cancer, followed by lung cancer and colorectal cancer. In terms of cancer death, the leading causes of cancer death in males is lung cancer, followed by pancreatic cancer, followed by colorectal cancer. In females, the leading cause of cancer death is lung cancer again, followed by pancreatic cancer and colorectal cancer. So is cancer preventable? And what are some strategies that can be utilized to prevent cancer in general? Just as in any other disease, prevention is intended to reduce cancer incidence and or mortality. There are a lot of unknowns when it comes to the etiology or the cause of the cancer. We only have limited information about the cause of cancer. So interventions are limited. When we talk about cancer cause, uh, there are certain risk factors that we have to consider, which include extrinsic risk factors and intrinsic risk factors. Extrinsic risk factors include environmental exposure, lifestyle diseases, 
diet changes, infectious diseases. When we talk about intrinsic risk factors, it all pertains to our genetics and our genetic predisposition to developing a cancer, including our family history. So interventions are designed or implemented based on the possible causation or risk factors for cancer. When we talk about interventions in terms of extrinsic risk factors, it includes lifestyle modifications, weight loss, smoking cessation, limited alcohol use, avoiding sun in terms of skin cancer, maintaining a healthy diet and physical exercise. Besides, we also have vaccines that can reduce the risk of a cancer like HPV, the human papillomavirus vaccine, is well known to lower the risk and incidence and mortality of cervical cancer in females. We also use drugs to lower the risk of cancer, such as tamoxifen for reducing breast cancer risk in women who have high risk of developing a breast cancer. Similarly, aspirin is now recommended for reducing the incidence or risk of colorectal cancer in both males and females. When we talk about intrinsic risk factors, there's not much available in terms of intervening to lower the risk of cancer, but identifying those risk factors uh, based on family history and personal history is really important to know one person's genetic predisposition to developing a breast cancer or any other cancer. Recognizing those factors and implementing screening and heightened preventative strategies is important. So remember, prevention is better than cure. And today we will be talking about some specific cancers uh, such as breast cancer, cervical cancer, colorectal cancer, lung cancer, and prostate cancer. We have selected these cancers due to their common incidence and high mortality rate and we will be focusing on screenings for these cancers. So Dr. Singh, can you tell us about the screening methods for breast cancer first? Yes, for sure. Before I dive into that, I would like to give the audience some information about what exactly is cancer screening. Cancer screening is just a part of this prevention goal for cancer. So it's just one facet of preventing cancer is screening. So screening is, is an attempt to detect neoplasms in an individual who doesn't have any symptoms with the goal of intervening and improving outcomes like morbidity and mortality. It is not used for diagnosis of cancer. It is rather used for picking up early cancers and if intervened, improve life expectancy, both on an individual level as well as on a population level. There are benefits and harms to every procedure or intervention done in medical profession. So there are certain harms that can happen because of cancer screening, which includes overdiagnosis, picking up cancers which may not have affected mortality in an individual patient, unnecessary anxiety in patients, financial costs, emotional burden, and multiple follow-up scans or biopsies, depending on the screening test. So as you can see, there are downsides to having screening also. So 
So the societies that make guidelines for cancer screening look at the evidence available before recommending a particular screening test for cancer at a population level. Now I will go over the screening for breast cancer. I will first talk about the USPSTF, which is a US Preventative Services Task Force Guidelines for Breast Cancer Screening. They recommend screening for breast cancer starting at age 50 every two years up to age 74. And on multiple studies, it has been proven to reduce mortality by about 20 to 30%. In contrast to USPSTF recommendations, we have American Cancer Society recommendations they have recently changed the recommendations to begin screening not at age 50, but at age 45. And their recommendation is to do screening mammograms every year beginning age 45 up until age 54. And age 55 up till 74, they recommend screening mammogram every one to two years. We use mammography as a tool for screening for breast cancer. Ultrasound is never or almost always never used for as a first step screening for cancer, for breast cancer. And we only use MRI of the breast in certain situations um, in individuals who are very high risk of developing breast cancer. So digital mammography, it comes in various forms and that is the number one tool to screen uh, women for breast cancer. Thank you. Thank you for bringing up the USPSTF uh, recommendations. Uh, again, remember, these uh, are very important for the board exams, so please keep that in mind. So let's transition to cervical cancer. Can you elaborate on that, please? Yes, I'm going to stick with the USPSTF recommendations for cervical cancer also since that is a major guideline uh, used even by insurance companies and Medicare, Medicaid to pay for all the screening services. So USPSTF recommends screening for cervical cancer uh, by one of the two methods, which is a pap smear, which is a cytology-based uh, specimen test for uh, picking up abnormal cells or dysplastic cells and high-risk HPV testing. So these two tests are used to screen for cervical cancer in women. Beginning age 21 to 65 is the age range recommended for screening for cervical cancer in women who are at average risk of developing cervical cancer. The recommendations for the age group 21 to 29 include doing pap smears every three years and HPV testing is not usually recommended in this age group because HPV inspections in young women are often transient and might not indicate a high risk of developing cancer. However, beginning age 30 until 65, there are various options and timelines for cervical cancer screening. Option number one can be pap smear every three years. Option number two would be using high-risk HPV DNA testing alone every five years. Option number three is co-testing with pap smear and high-risk HPV testing every five years. Okay, 
And remember, cervical cancer can be quite challenging uh, for the boards, so please pay special attention uh, to these screenings. And uh, do you remember when you studied the cervical cancer screening for the boards, Dr. Singh? Yes, I did. It was uh, it was difficult. So I used to always make sure I have cancer screenings as one of my high yield topics to kind of skim through and read before right before my board exam. So I would highly recommend our viewers, our listeners, to do the same. Absolutely. And now let's transition to colorectal cancer. For colorectal cancer, the USPSCF recently changed the guidelines. Earlier, the recommendation was to begin screening for colorectal cancer at age 50. But given the rising incidence of colon erectile cancers in younger adults, meaning age less than 50, the guidelines have changed now to start screening for colorectal cancer in, in people at age 45 up until age 75. There are, there are various options for screening for colorectal cancer. There are stool-based tests like FOBT, which is fecal occult blood test. There is fecal immunochemical test, which is called a FIT test. There is a DNA FIT test. So these are all stool-based tests which are done annually or the DNA test or the test can be done every one to two years. Then we have the endoscopic uh, procedural-based screening test, which is like sigmoidoscopy and colonoscopy. Sigmoidoscopy only looks at the distal part of the colon up to the screening flexure, so it's not the best if you want to take a look at the whole colon or go up to the terminal ileum. For screening purposes, flexible zygmoidoscopy can be done every five years and can be combined with stool-based tests. For colonoscopy, the recommendation is every 10 years. And with colonoscopy, the entire length of the colon, including the terminal ileum, can be examined. At the same time, polyps, which are found to be abnormal or precancerous, can be removed at the time of the procedure itself. The other test for Patients who are unable to go through procedures or do stool tests include a CT colonography, which is called a virtual colonoscopy, which is an imaging-based test, which looks at the colon and rectum by making various ten slices and developing a virtual colon on the image. By this method, you can pick up polyps which are greater than one centimeter in size. It is not as sensitive to pick up small polyps or sessile polyps in the colon or rectum. The recommendation is we go for a virtual colonoscopy to do it every five years. So for everyone listening, there are multiple options uh, to screen uh, for colorectal cancer as well as the other cancers. And for those of you uh, unaware, uh, please refer to your primary care provider as they can provide appropriate referrals for you to undergo screening. And uh, for women, uh, please also contact your uh, OBGYN for especially for cervical cancer screening. And I know we mentioned that uh, lung cancer uh, also has uh, one of the greater mortality rates. So can you expand the screening process for that, please? 
Absolutely, as we have discussed before, lung cancer is a leading cause of cancer death in both men and women. A decade ago, we had no proper screening test for lung cancer. There were studies looking into urine, looking into sputum cytology and chest x-ray as a tool for lung cancer screening, and that was not proven to be effective on a population level. So there were a couple of big randomized control trials done in U.S. and Europe that looked at low-dose CT chest as a screening tool for high-risk patients for lung cancer. And based on those studies, the USPSTF recommendations are for lung cancer screening, they recommend starting at age 50 up until age 80 in patients who have at least 20 pack year smoking history and who quit in the last 15 years or who are current smokers. This is done by by the annual low-dose CT chest. And this method or this tool of screening for lung cancer has been shown to lower mortality by about 20%. There are, again, downsides to lung cancer screening using a low-dose CD. Benign things can be picked up on the CT scan. Patients might undergo repeated biopsies, more frequent imaging scans. So a discussion about risks and benefits of using low-dose CT for screening should happen between the physician and the doctor prior to using this as a tool for picking up early lung cancers. So as you described, the screening has a positive impact by decreasing the mortality considerably. Therefore, screening is uh, extremely important. Yes, this is exactly right. So far, what we have discussed, all the screening tools for various different cancers have their own risks. So it's important to sit down and discuss with the patient about their risk of developing a particular cancer, what are the tools available for screening for a particular cancer, and the risks and benefits of each and every tool so that the patients can make an informed decision about the screening uh, tools for a particular cancer. Yes, and for our students, uh, Dr. Singh, uh, can you please explain how we calculate pack years uh, for smoking? Yes, this is an important thing to to know. If a person smokes a pack a day, which is 20 cigarettes in a pack, if they smoke a pack a day for over a year, that is one pack year. So you have to calculate the pack year and patients on average number of uh, cigarettes smoked per day, you have to use that and calculate the pack years for the patient. And now, let us talk about prostate cancer. I know this is uh, not talked about very frequently, but uh, especially the man, uh, you would have to be aware of this and uh, initiate the conversations uh, with your providers, as this is uh, very important. Uh, so, Dr. Singh, can you elaborate on the prostate cancer screening and also educate us about uh, what prostate cancer is for those unaware? For sure, prostate cancer is one of the leading causes of cancer in men. 
the incidence of prostate cancer rises with age. Majority of the cancers, uh, majority of the prostate cancers, I should say, in men, do not cause any harm. Studies have shown that anywhere from 15 to 47% of the prostate cancers are not as aggressive. And if left alone, they're unlikely to be the cause of death in those people. So as you can see, it's very tricky in how you screen for prostate cancers. You do not want to overdiagnose and put patients through biopsies and complications of procedures, including biopsies, early diagnosis, anxiety, financial, emotional burden on the patients by doing an aggressive prostate cancer screening without showing any mortality benefits. At the same time, there are benefits to doing prostate cancer screening in patients who are at high risk of developing prostate cancer and dying from it. So uh, a detailed discussion or rather a shared decision-making process has to happen between the patient and the physician. And most often it is the primary care physicians that are discussing about PSA screening or prostate cancer screening with their patients. There are no strict societal guidelines for screening for prostate cancer because of this controversy and studies not proving significant benefit or improvement in outcomes on a population level. So the USPSTF and other major organizations recommend discussing with the primary physician about prostate cancer screening on an individual level. The general recommendations include discussing about prostate cancer screening beginning at age 50 for men with average risk of developing prostate cancer. But there are certain patients who have high risk of developing one. That includes patients who have a family history of prostate cancer, patients of African-American descent, and patients who have a family history of BRCA mutation. These patient groups are at high risk of developing prostate cancer and dying from it. So the recommendations in these high-risk patients would be to start talking about and screening for prostate cancer using PSA beginning age 45 or even age 40. And start talking about doing PSA screening once every one to two years and do biopsies based on the level of the uh, PSA by sending the patients to urologists in a timely fashion. So are there any genetic tools or genetic studies that a uh, patient can opt for if they would like to know more about their family history? Yes, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you know, it's really important to know what your risk of developing a cancer is. Um, there are average risks if you do not have any family history of developing cancers, and there are studies to give us an idea of what an average risk of a 50-year-old male in the U.S. is of developing a prostate cancer over the next 20 or 30 years. But if you have a family history of any cancer, uh, my strong recommendation would be to discuss that with your providers, including your primary care physicians, and 
talk in detail about what your family history is, including your first degree relative, uh, second degree relative, and what kind of cancer they have had, at what age they had cancer, and what was the course of cancer in your relative. Um, it's important to have this information before you sit down and talk with your physician about your risk of developing a particular cancer. And primary care physicians and other physicians, we have tools available where we can figure out approximately your risk of developing a particular cancer, let's say breast cancer in a woman who have a strong family history of multiple cancers or multiple breast cancers. There are well-validated tools to help us figure out the risk and if needed, proceed with heightened screening procedures or chemo prevention with certain medications. There are commercial tools available for doing genetic testing like Ancestry or 23andMe, and they have different platforms, uh, especially for your health and for your medical purpose. They can also test you for certain genes that are commonly seen in certain populations. For example, some of those platforms can also test you for BRCA1, BRCA2 genes, which are well known to be associated with increased risk of breast and ovary cancers. And we have multiple tests available um, from different pharmaceutical companies, which are blood-based, which are saliva-based testing, to look at the normal cells of the body and look for the most common genetic mutations that are known to increase the risk of certain breast cancers at this point. So if your primary care physician is unable to help or need additional help in figuring out, uh, I would recommend that you, you be referred to an oncologist. And in my practice, I often see patients coming in just because they have a family history of so-and-so cancers and they're worried about having one or developing one in the future and talk about what interventions or strategies they can do to lower the risk of having so-and-so cancer. So we often see these consultations in the clinics and we will be happy to evaluate and help our patients uh, figure out that risk. So, but the first step in the process is to know your family history. So I would highly encourage everyone to, um, to get that information and then talk to talk about that with their physician. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And now I hear that uh, you have some cases with you today for our medical students, residents, and the general population uh, regarding cancer screening. Uh, can you please uh, share the cases? Absolutely. I think uh, the importance of screening is, is best known by looking at cases in real life um, of patients who have screening versus patients who do not. So I'd like to share a few cases. Um, I had this 65-year-old female, very nice, had history of hypertension and diabetes. Uh, she has been getting mammograms since age 50 annually, and she had no prior abnormal mammograms or had breast biopsies. But this past winter, she had uh, abnormal mammogram where a 
one centimeter mass was picked up in the upper outer quadrant of the left breast and subsequently she had diagnostic mammogram and an ultrasound. Fortunately, there were no enlarged or abnormal lymph nodes in the left axilla. So she underwent a biopsy under ultrasound guidance of that mass in the left breast. It was diagnosed as invasive ductal carcinoma, which was hormone positive and HER2 negative. The patient came to me and we talked about, you know, the early stage breast cancers and talked about various treatment options. She also had some routine blood work and some staging studies and was noted to have cancer just in the breast, so it was an early stage cancer. So I referred her to a surgeon and she had a partial mastectomy and a sentinel node biopsy in the left axilla. Fortunately, the cancer was small and was corresponding to the mammographic size of one centimeter. She did not need chemotherapy, so she underwent radiation and she is currently undergoing hormone therapy because the cancer was hormone positive. So this is a good example of picking up cancers um, by screening method where you can potentially save, save someone's life. In contrast, I had another case of a 70-year-old woman with osteopenia and heart disease and hypertension who came to the emergency department because of persistent pain in the right thigh. On x-ray, she had a lesion in the right femur that was concerning for pathologic factor. She underwent further scans, including a bone scan and a CT scan, which showed multiple osseous metastatic lesions all throughout her axial and appendicular skeletal system. Patient did not feel, but on exam, she had a lump in the right breast about the size of a grape. And patient was not known to do clinical breast examinations or she has never had a screening mammogram done before. So on biopsy, it was stage four metastatic breast cancer, which was hormone positive and HER2 negative. So patient had surgical fixation of the femur. And then we talked about various treatment options. And in such cases, we often end up with not curing, but trying to give treatment to prolong life with a good quality. So the intent of treatment in this case becomes palliation and not cure. So the patient has been on hormone therapy plus other treatments for stage four breast cancer. And as you can see, compared to our previous patient, if she had undergone routine screening mammography, this might have been picked up earlier and she could have had this taken care of at an early stage and not come to the hospital with a stage four breast cancer. So uh, thank you so much for sharing your cases, uh, Dr. Singh. Uh, it was very useful and uh, I'm sure our listeners will have realized the importance of screening and uh, I'm sure this would have helped our uh, medical students and residents as well. So uh, thank you so much for being here and for uh, sharing your uh, insight. And um, we look forward to having you more on our episodes. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. And 
it was great to share my knowledge and my information with everyone. Hope it helps helps all. Thank you. Absolutely. This podcast is meant for educational purposes only. Please do not use this as medical advice. And for any concerns regarding your health, please always consult with your health care provider. No copyright infringement is intended.